get invited back. <laughs> so anyway, um, listen, um, my wife says, uh, sends her greetings to you. She wishes she could, well, actually, she wishes she could be here with you, um, but not with me. Um, that's why she's not here. She's heard me many times before, and she wants to say thank you for giving her a break. Um, and my church has also said thank you for asking me to come here to give them a break. Um, so, um, but they are great guys and great church, and I love our folk. And, and um, I, I, my wife um, fulfills a couple of things for me, a few things for me, one of which is timekeeping. So I know I've got 20 minutes to 25 minutes, so you cough after 20 minutes, okay? When she coughs, I know I have to wrap up. Um, so, but listen, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to, um, where is it? Ephesians 5, Ephesians chapter 5. I, I've got a, a this is weird, this doesn't happen to me very often. Um, usually I really have to work at what is it, God, you want to say when I go and speak in different places. But twice, since um, the first time you invited me to speak, I knew what it was to speak on, on that Zoom uh, encounter. Today was exactly the same thing. It's a message I've preached a few times, so it's not like I'm preaching my best sermon. That's not what it's about, because actually there's probably better sermons. But it's one that's just in me. It's one that is just, I can't seem to run away from it. I can't seem to escape it. Because one of the frustrations for, for a leader for myself, like myself, a ministry gift, is oftentimes is to encourage you to believe that God has got a call upon your life. You see, for some of you, you don't believe that God can use you. Do you know, I've just spoken at our churches recently from Hebrews 11, and it's just this one sentence, I can't remember what it's from now, uh, what verse it is. It says, and I could go on and on and on. That was a really, <laughs> that was an honest moment from a preacher, <laughs> that he could go on, any preacher can go on, which is why you're timing me. But then he says, he talks about how there was, um, who was it? Uh, Gideon, Barak, uh, Samson, Jephna. And he kind of mentioned these guys, and he says, David and the prophets and so forth. These four guys got into the hall of fame. Hebrews 11 is one of those inspirational chapters. And when he mentioned those four characters, I thought to myself, this preacher is offline. And then I had to kind of correct myself. Because the word is infallible. It's not there by accident. It's not a mistake. It's there for a purpose. And when you study the lives of these four characters, it is amazing that they got into Hebrews 11. Which gives me hope. Because, folks, you need to understand one lacked faith. One lacked courage. Barak, how would you like to serve in the army under Barak? The top leader who said, I ain't going unless you're coming with me. You see, does that inspire you to follow such leadership? And yet he got into Hebrews 11. Samson, who had no self-control, got in there. One, Jephna, who lacked judgment, got in. You need to understand something. The call of God is upon your life. One of the problems, I think, in the criticisms of the church and leadership has been this, is that we've placed so much emphasis on pulpit ministry. The leader. Now listen, I believe in leadership, 
I passionately believe in leadership. I commend you, church, for sending your guys onto MIT. Great. But folks, that's just part of the body. Folks, aren't you glad that we're not all preachers? Boy, I'll be bored. You are called. You have to understand this. You are called. And you can have the same call upon your life as I have upon my life. I'm going to hope and try and prove that from Scripture here today. You see, I want to encourage you with this. I don't know if you have New Year resolutions and so forth, but listen, I want to encourage you to better yourself. I want you to grow in God. I want you to be the best that you can be because the world is crying out for people like you to be the best you can to minister into their situations. Hebrews 5, uh, Hebrews, you know you got me preaching the wrong sermon. Ephesians, verse 15, from the message. So watch your step. Hence the title of this message here today. Watch your step. Use your head. Make the most of every chance you get. These are desperate times. Don't live carelessly, unthinkingly. Make sure you understand what the master wants. I found that grabbed me. Folks, I want you to realise that what the Bible is describing here is our time as well. We are living in desperate times. Folks, they are believing that this year will be the year that we come through this COVID. And I pray that they are true. I am sure, like you, we are all fed up with this COVID. We're fed up with the, the restrictions and all the, you know, the confusion of the restrictions and goodness knows what else. People have lost hope. We're living in uncertain times. Folks, I'm not trying to belittle COVID. COVID is a serious thing. My wife was in hospital for 13 days. She was virtually nearly onto a ventilator. As far as I'm aware, those of you who may be medical can tell me if I'm wrong, but I'm led to believe that if you go on a ventilator, it's a 50-50 chance. So folks, I'm not belittling it. But what I'm saying to you is we can't live under this cloud. We of all people should be the one full of hope. We of all people should be the ones who should be able to go into our workplaces. Yes, under difficult circumstances. Yes, it's pressured. But there should be something about you and I that stands out. Because we have this living hope. Folks, if you, folks, if you just come just to sing songs, there's nothing wrong with that. But I can think of better things to do. Folks, I can't because, folks, there's something inside of me that I want to express to encourage you and to then go back into the, you know, because I'm full-time, so I can hide behind a pulpit, I can hide behind my office. But, folks, I'm called to make an impact in my neighbourhood. So many people are feeling unloved, overwhelmed, isolated by the situation by, from that COVID has brought. There are churches that are struggling sure it's not happening here. I don't know anything about you. I've not asked any questions deliberately. Because then if I say something, I could do it with all innocence. 
All I will ask is if you can just leave a clear pathway for me to make a quick escape. One church I know, 400 strong. Went online during the COVID period. Opened up in September. And do you know what? They were struggling to even do it open, to do it physically in person. Because most of the volunteers didn't come forward. It's funny because you see what happened was that during that two-year period, people had a bit of a break. And they really enjoyed it. And now it's hard to get back into doing something of service. Folks were called. If we're not careful, we will lose focus. And then we will go under the cloud of fear, insecurity. Do you know, a friend of mine was, uh, he sent a video over during the COVID um, restrictions time and so we could play it online. And he was saying this, he said, the 21st century has already, we're only 20 years into it, has already been dubbed the century of fear. That's the climate in which we're living. Listen, I, I like to do some really, I would love to do a parachute jump. I would love to do that, I would love that. Do you know what, if I wasn't a Christian or, um, or a minister and I, and I could choose the profession, I mean, I love what I do, I wouldn't change for anything else. But, you know, there's one thing I would love to do is be a fighter pilot. I just love the fact that I can go Mac 2 and not get a speeding ticket. I just love it. The speed, I love all of those adrenaline things. But there's one thing I really don't want to do, and that's to be a trapeze artist. Have you ever seen them at a circus? There they are, they're on one swing, and they're kind of, woo! Now listen, it wouldn't be so bad if it was just the one swing. And they're going backwards and forwards. It just, they're doing it high up in the air. But there's a point where they kind of swing, and they let go, and they grab the other one. I have no desire to do anything so stupid in all my life. I read, I, I just think there's something wrong with them. I kind of put them in the, the sort of the same group, even though they're at the opposite end of the spectrum, of people who go out fishing. I think there's something weird about you. That you can spend all day with a rod, not catch anything, and still go home excited. There is something wrong. And those of you who go night fishing, for me it's bed, fishing, bed, or it's no competition. But here they are, they swing, whoosh, and there's a moment in which they are suspended. Not hanging on to that one, because they have to let go of that to grab the other one. I've got a funny feeling, not that I'm an, ex an expert. At that moment, once they are suspended in midair, is the wrong time to lose focus. Can you imagine if one of them's got a little, I wonder if I put the safety net up. Oh, that's a lovely blouse. Oh, that's nice. What's she, where has she got that from? Being suspended in midair is the wrong time to be or to lose focus. Right now, folks, for some people within the church, they're losing their focus. And then they wonder why they're crashing, why they're burning, why they're going through issues. 
And then, you know, folks, when you crash and you fall over, it hurts. Folks, we are to remain focused. I've got to really move on. So let me just give you three simple things. Mind the gap. Be very careful then how you live. Not as the unwise, but as wise. In the message, it says, so watch your step. I'm kind of hoping that none of you are as warped as me, sense of humor wise. Because I love funny Weird things. Little accidents that happen to people. There's some funny clips in which people aren't watching where they're going and they fall over. One fell into a pond once in the city or something like that. I love those types of things. I just think it's so hilariously funny. One fell down a manhole. That was really funny too. I'm sorry, that's just how I am. That's why I wish you got someone more spiritual than Vicky to pray for me because I really need it. And, um, but there was one clip that even now I wince at because this guy escapes with his life by a breadth. Guy was on a train station walking and then he fell onto the track. And I don't know how he did it, but because of the quick thinking of all the other passengers on that platform, they grabbed him. And I am telling you, I do not know how he missed that high-speed train. You see, you need to be focused. You need to watch the gap. I can remember, those of you who have been to London, if you've been to Bank Station, Bank Station's uh, built on a curve. The platform is curved. Obviously, the train is, the carriages are straight. They can't be curved, otherwise it wouldn't, whatever. So when they kind of stop in the station at Bank, there's a gap, and there'll be a loud message that comes over on the tannoy that says, mind the gap. Mind the gap. Mind the gap. It keeps going. Do you know what? I used to think, why does it have to keep repeating itself? Why? It's because people kind of ignore or forget what's been said. They're still so preoccupied that the message, that tannoy message, has to be continually played until the train doors shut because people are still not being focused. They're not watching their step. People are too much in a rush, allowing the pressures of life to influence their decisions and then they wonder why they trip over. Folks, I'm asking you to slow down. If there's one thing I'm asking you to do, now listen, don't tell me out of context because I know you're under pressure. Those of you at work, there's more demands on you with less resources. I understand that. I am living in the real world. But there are times, folks, we do have to just take a time back, take a breath, and we need to see what it is that God is wanting to do. We have to watch our step. I got involved in a partnership with uh, someone in our ch- from, um, uh, from our church with this other organization. And I did it with the right motives. I thought, this is great because this is helping to meet a need for those who are in need in our community. It's a great opportunity in which as we meet that need, we can win people for Jesus. That was the thing that came through into my mind. But after six months, folks, I regretted that decision. It cost the church about £1,000 to get out of that agreement. All because I did not inquire, step back and say, God, what, is this the right thing? Folks, don't allow the pressures of everything else to rush you into making decisions that you shouldn't make. 
It's because people get involved, folks. It's one of the reasons why we're still having the problems in the Middle East. Because one person, when we read in the Bible, decided to put it, make, um, take on the responsibility of themselves to fulfill the promise that God had promised him. We haven't got time to go into all of that now. Folks, what I'm asking you to do is to watch your step. Know God. Know his word. Know what he's speaking There's so much more I can say. Number two, grab the moment. Make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. In the message, use your head. Make the most of every chance you get. These are desperate times. These are desperate times. Let me give you the background to this. I'm going to read it to you. Paul writes these words while chained to the guards in a Roman jail. The emperor was a man by the name of Nero, a perverted excuse for a king. Before too long, he, went, he would set fire to Rome and blame the Christians. Later, he ordered Paul to be beheaded. And Ephesus was a city wholly given over to whatever you feel like doing. In Paul's day, he was the most important city in the Roman province of Asia, located near the coast. Ephesus served as a centre for the international com commerce. It was prosperous, bustling, booming city. Ephesus was famous for the temple of Artemis. That was the, the glory of the ancient Ephesus. Artemis was called Diana by the Romans, but they referred to the same thing. Artemis was the goddess of sex. Her temple was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It goes on to say this, that the people worked themselves up into a religious frenzy and then followed their lustful desires. One ancient writer said of the Ephesians, their moles were lower than animals. Astrology, black magic and sorcery joined with sexual perversion to, to produce a degraded form of idolatry that held ancient Ephesus in its grip. There's certain similarities, don't you think? What goes on? the level of morality in which we're living in. Folks, the danger is we can go off and think, oh, the situation is so bad. My old pastor used to say this. He obviously bought his wife lots of jewellery. But he said, if you want to appreciate the beauty of a diamond, you always put it behind or in front of a dark background. You never put it in front of a white background. You never put it in front of a bright background because you will never ever fully appreciate the beauty, the facets, and the, the sides of this glorious diamond. Folks, that is a picture of you and me. We are to be diamonds in this darkness. We are to come. Folks, if there's ever a time that we should shine the most, it's now. It's now. Just get out of the thinking, oh, the world is so bad, what are we doing? And then we come into church and go, oh, let's just protect ourselves. No, 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 no. Now's the time. Folks, do you know what, when you look at the life of Paul, he was saying when he was in prison, he said, don't think this is actually for my detriment. Do you know what, this has opened doors for me. I've been able to witness to so-and-so. So Now, if it was me, folks, I would have said, that's another fine mess you got me into. Here I am doing the will of God and I'm in prison. Talking about a worship spirit of praise and worship. What was he doing with Silas in, in, the, in, the, in the prison at midnight after being beaten? I'm probably the only black guy 
and I let my side down with no musical talent and ability in me. But here they were at midnight and somehow or another they make use of what's in front of them or on them. And I can imagine there's Paul chained and all of a sudden he's going to doing the percussion with the, cha- with, the, uh, with the old chains. That's tightly around his wrists and his feet. And then they start, you know, doing the little, the vocals. And then they start to worship. And then guess what? Woo! Breakthrough. How many of you would have had the same mindset? How many of you, how many of I, how, how would I have responded to that? This is not fair! But what Paul did, he always saw every situation, no matter how bleak, as an opportunity for the goodness of God to be shone and to make a difference in the lives of people. Folks, that's your calling. I've got to move on. I've got to cut this out. I've done this in that church over two weeks. Live with purpose is the third thing. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. The message, don't live carelessly, unthinkingly. Make sure you understand what the master wants. I'm going to use this illustration and I'll wrap up. Dr. Martin Luther King, as you all know, was a man that was uh, persecuted. Um, He was an incredible leader. And just thinking this through reminded me of the Apostle Paul. I'll come on to the Apostle Paul later. But uh, he made his last speech in Memphis, April the 3rd, 1968. And that was the day before he was assassinated. When you listen to that speech, I would encourage you to listen to it on YouTube. It wasn't a rah-rah speech, like really motivational, get the people you know, swinging from the chandeliers from the ceiling or whatever. It was meaty, it was deep. But it was full of hope. It was full of hope. That was the thing that surprised me. Because he knew that his life was probably going to come to an end. He would die at some time. Not just, no, normally. He he knew that his life was in danger. There were so many threats. In fact, the plane that took him there was delayed by by several hours because the plane had to be guarded because they were fearful that someone could have planted a bomb or something like that. So you know when, if you've ever been on a plane, can, I can just imagine it. The captain on the plane comes over on the tank and I says, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, they always do that. We're going to be flying out. Uh. But he says, I apologize for the delay of this plane. It's because of Dr. Martin Luther King. We had to make sure the security was all fine. So you can imagine the eyes of all the other passengers on that plane, boring, turning and boring into Dr. Martin Luther King, saying, this is all your fault. But you listen to the first six or seven minutes of that message. He kind of has this little dream that he had a conversation with God in which he could, where God gave him the option of coming back into the human race and for him to choose, basically, what period of time he wanted to come back in. And then Martin Luther King started to describe various significant, I mean really significant, human events throughout history. And he said, it would have been good to have seen this, he says, 
I mean, that would have been very significant, but I, I, I wouldn't want to come back then. And then he describes another significant event in history. He says, that would have been really significant. And this was really powerful. And change came about because of this. And even though that would have been really good to have seen it, I wouldn't have wanted to come back then. And he goes through and he says, you know what? I want to come back at the same time as when I was here now. And I'm thinking to myself, what the heck is this guy saying? Because this guy nearly lost his life because he was stabbed by a woman. And he, I mean, they think it was a miracle that he even survived that. He wanted to come back at a time in which probably one of the biggest and the most fierce battles against racism was raging at that particular moment in time. He could have chosen an easier time to have come back. But he said, I want to come back now. And it hit me because it made me realise that this guy realised who he was, what he was called to do. He didn't want to shirk the responsibility and the, and the, the un, you know, some of us, we don't want to do, we, we want to do great things for God, but we're not willing to come out of our, our comfort zone. But he said, I'll come back. He'll probably face the same things. He didn't try to uh, make an excuse to avoid it. He says, I knew, I know why I'm here. Which reminds me of the Apostle Paul, because I had a problem with the Apostle Paul. I know that sounds strange, because he wrote two-thirds of the epistle. How could you have a problem with the Apostle Paul? Because I used to think he was a show-off. What do I mean? How did he start off his letters? I, Paul, called a guy. To be an apostle. I better stand up here. I've got my mask. Who starts the letter off that way? Even with people you don't like, you might say, well, hope you're fine. How's family? He goes, I called of God. And I kind of go into an American. I'm sorry if there's any Americans here, but I just kind of sense he kind of goes on into this American accent. Called of God. Hallelujah. Until God had to say, Dave, you got it wrong. What he's trying to say is, he knows who he is. He knows what his purpose is. He knows why he's here. And he's trying to encourage those who are reading these letters that they too can have the same call upon their lives. So you can be Joe Bloggs, who is called to be a dustman. And you know what? you will live a fulfilled life because you are doing what God has asked you to do. And listen, folks, stop thinking because I'm a minister that the call of God only comes upon me. No, it's upon you. You see, let me use my sister as an example. She's a teacher. She's way, way older than me. She is. She is way older. She is. She won't like me saying it, but I can say it because I'm a brother. <laughs> she got a letter at the beginning of covid to say that she, asks, she, is, uh, she is to isolate because of health issues. For some reason, that letter didn't get through to her. Oh, it did, but it was misplaced. She's a senior teacher. If it wasn't for her, the school would have closed because all of the people who were on that senior team all had issues in which they couldn't come into school. And do you know what? Because of what she did and how she has and how she conducted herself, she didn't preach the Bible to everybody. It's opened doors for her to witness to other staff members and to sit down with them in her office and just to pray with them. Because she knows her calling. 
Folks, you need to understand. Folks, can I just say this, and I'm going to leave on this controversial note. Oh. If you are not making an impact, now by that does not mean that everyone in your workplace or in your family or your street has to be a Christian. I'm not saying that. But folks, if you're not making an impact, one of two things has happened. You have a misunderstanding about your salvation. Because it's more than just coming in here to raise hands. Or I question your salvation. Because God's not designed you and I just to be a happy-go-lucky, clappy, whatever. He's, he's designed us with a purpose. So where you live, folks, you just think, I live down such and such a street. No, no, no. I'm called to this street. A lady in, uh, in Wales, I think, Becky, our worship guy, uh, girl in our church, uh, she knows. She'd be living in this street. This street is well known by to the police and the authorities for drugs and everything else. She was a quiet lady, but she made sure that she told people that she was praying for them and all that sort of thing. Do you know what? After I think it was six years, that whole street has been transformed. No more drugs, no issues. The police hardly ever called. Folks, I'm, I'm waiting. I want to get her to our church because, folks, that's what it's about. Making a difference. I was called <laughs> to be a preacher. and God's, God's got a wonderful sense of humour. I'm sure I get it from him. Because I hate feet. I'm sorry, I hate feet. I've got this thing. Even when my wife was pregnant three times um, and she put her foot on the settee, sometimes she'd try to discreetly put it onto my lap as if that could be done discreetly. And she'd kind of say, Dave, can you rub my feet? And I'm sorry, I'll do anything for my wife. I love my wife. I will not touch her feet. Or your feet or anybody else's feet. I hate it. I think feet are just a practical thing to get from one place to another. I hate feet. So when I was in London, God said, you know, this, I had to go, I got a job as an assistant manager, trainee manager for Peter Lords. Those of you who know, it's a shoe company. I hated it because I was stuck on a train going into work at the centre of London. And it was one of those things, you know, you are, you are packed like sardines. All you're facing is someone's armpit, you know, as they kind of hang onto the thing because the trains and you're bumping into each other. I hated it for an hour and a half. There it was, getting in. And then having the, oh boy, oh kneeling and then serving people, you know, by, ah, and some of the smell, folks. I'm serious. If I'm suffering, I want to make you suffer. The smell, you can imagine. Some of the smells will never leave you. And I was thinking I was mad. I was really mad. I said, God, here I am doing this. Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? I thought you called me to be a preacher. And I was so angry. I said, God, I... And then something happened. God was really merciful to me. The next day, the assistant manager, he wasn't the trainee manager, he was the assistant manager, he nabbed me in the store cupboard of the shoe place. And uh, he says, you're an answer to prayer. And I thought, he's taking the mick. I honestly generally thought he was taking the mick. I said, yeah, yeah, I'm an answer to prayer, am I? He says, he says yes, I am. Yeah. He said, you don't realize this, but over the weekend, a few weeks ago, I went into my room and I was vulnerable. I thought of, I was drunk. I was thinking of giving up my, you know, giving up on life. 
and he said, he described how he got to the edge of his bed and he fell backwards onto his bed and he shouted. He didn't care if anyone heard him, his neighbours. He says, God, if you really love me, you will send a Christian to my workplace. God sent me. After that moment, every shoe I changed, I did with the gusto, with enthusiasm, because I just forgot I'm here to serve. And I don't know who I'm influencing. You are in a work situation that's pressured. Maybe you've got a bully of a manager. But you're called to that place. You're called to that street. Folks, make a difference. Just make a difference. Because people are crying out for someone to make a difference. Because they have no hope. They have no hope. You need to stop thinking it's about church and coming, bringing your friends to church. Yes, do that, yes. But folks, the biggest impact can take place in your lounge. The biggest impact can take place in your office. On that bus. You know, my daughter, she accused me. <laughs> we got some petrol. Oh, dear. And she was in the car. And I went into the kiosk to pay because that's a Christian thing to do. And I was just speaking to the cashier. And my daughter said, are you chatting up that woman? I said, I said as if I would chat her up in front of you. Of course not. I was just being... Folks, she kind of thought it was a little bit weird that I just talked to people. Just talk. Be friendly. Smile. Despite it. Take some cakes into work. It's not your birthday, but take some cakes in. Make a difference. They'll think, well, why are they bringing cakes for? You think you have to do something huge. Folks, if you ever, I've got to finish. If you ever Bible bash people, I pray that God will get the biggest Bible, and I'm hoping it's the King James, and he whacks you so hard that he knocks you into eternity. Folks, that's not it. Was it St. Francis of Assisi who said this? Preach the gospel and if need be, use words. It's how you are, how you love, how you accept people. Folks, if someone, I said to our church, if someone comes into our church and they are of a different persuasion or whatever, folks, and you have a problem, I'll be asking you to leave, not them. Make a difference. God, really help us to make a difference. God, we are here on purpose and with a purpose. We're not here by accident. You know, too often we disqualify ourselves because we think we've blown it, because we've done this. And the other thing is that when we have blown it, it's always in front of others and people know our past and people know our mistakes. But God, I'm so thankful to you because you do not, you do not kind of um, define us by our mistakes or our past or our history you define us because of your love for us and you are and despite all of those things and again we've said about Samson and, and all these people who had major gaffes still got into the hall of fame God I thank you for the hope of the message of Jesus Christ I pray that we will convey the grace of God to others and to realise that we are here deliberately and with a purpose God tomorrow tomorrow when we get up, we won't get up thinking, oh, no, not another day at work. But I pray that there will be a spring in our step. It doesn't mean that the circumstances have changed. The difficulties, the pressures are still there. But, Lord, it's during those difficult times that we, of all people as Christians, will shine the best 
May people see Jesus in us. I pray that we will be the world's greatest evangelist to someone by leading them to Jesus Christ. God, I ask this in Jesus' name.